When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Upland Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. I'm your host, Nick Larson. On this episode of the show, it's the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association with President Dave Trahan. Welcome to the show for episode number 81. podcast is brought to you by onyx hunt creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters download the onyx hunt app today and use the promo code pup20 to save 20 percent on your subscription to onyx hunt and all new to onyx subscribers save and share photos with your waypoints another creative way from onyx to capture data and information in the field help you remember and recall your hunts as well as plan and strategize for your next one check it out at onyx 
xmaps.com. The Project Dublin podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. You haven't experienced Grouse Camp until you've experienced it at Pine Ridge. Find out more about the Pine Ridge experience by visiting pineridgegrousecamp.com. And by Dr. Callers. For over 30 years, Dr. has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training, GPS tracking, and more to support bird dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. Check them out at dogtra.com. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Out in the field, how you prepared determines how you'll perform with balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog yukonuba premium performance dog food enhances strength energy and endurance so when that tailgate finally drops you and your dogs are ready for anything strong focused ready for anything that is a yukonuba dog and by gumleaf usa premium high quality handcrafted rubber boots go to gumleafusa.com and use the promo code pup10 to save 10 percent on your order rubber boots that are actually comfortable to wear supportive and they stand the test of time they're going to hold up for a while i love my gumleaf boots and you will too check them out at gumleafusa.com and by gordy and sons outfitters when your boots have the proper tread you never notice how slippery it is when your hunting jacket features the right liner your body temperature won't enter your mind when your shooting vest allows total freedom of movement you won't think twice about swinging through that quail at gordy and sons they want you to focus solely on the hunt and not the performance of your gear that's why the gordy family has personally curated the best in class gear from around the globe for their store find out more about the gear the guides the expertise all of it by visiting gordyandsons.com and finally by dakota 283 kennels kennels built to last a lifetime one piece roto-mold design frame steel door everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip loving my dakota 283 g3 medium it's a great kennel check them out at dakota283.com all right this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is pete f Pete shared last week's episode of the podcast with Rick Afuso. Thank you, Pete. Appreciate it. Project Upland t-shirt headed your way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you've got to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. Leave the podcast a rating in your podcast app. Leave us a review. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the podcast post. Send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. We'd love to hear from our listeners. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, that's it. I'm burning through the intro today. It is Halloween, October 31st. Trick or treat, everybody. I'm trying to get out in the woods desperately. It's the last day of October, and I'm here at my desk right now, and something just doesn't feel right. I hope everybody had an awesome October. Season's not over yet, but October only comes around once a year, and I hope you had a great one because I know I did. All right, we're diving in today on the Project Upland podcast. We have the president of the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, a.k.a. NAVDA, Mr. Dave Trahan. Dave is a breeder and bird dog trainer. He is a grouse hunting guide out in New Hampshire. That's where our conversation starts before transitioning into all things NAVDA. I hope you enjoy this one. I hope your hunting season is going well, and I hope everybody is finding time to keep getting out there and getting after it. Let's jump into today's conversation with the president of NAVDA, Mr. Dave Trahan. All right, Dave Trahan, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you, Dave. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. It is October 
30th. Dave, I can't believe it. October has nearly slipped away. We got a couple of days left and uh, hunting season's not over, but certainly where I'm at, October is synonymous with kind of the peak of the bird hunting season. So why don't uh, why don't we start there, Dave? Put us on the map. Let us know where you are and what kind of, where are you guys at in your hunting slash fall season right now? Well, actually, it's funny that you, you know, talk about that. This is actually the, the uh, first day that I really truly have a day off from the guiding season. I started October 1st of this year. I'm uh, located up in Pittsburgh, New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, I guide uh, f- throughout the season, mostly through October, basically. And today was one of my day off and I have a couple more days and then I'm, I'm, I'm done basically with the clients that are coming out. So I'm up in, uh, like I said, Pittsburgh, New Hampshire, uh, the season's been, you know, for the most part, hasn't been too bad. I think it's, um, I would say, an average season for grouse and woodcock this year. New Hampshire is not in a great flight way as far as where we see a lot of flight birds on woodcock. But we have our holes here and there that they seem to come down through and stuff. We kind of like skirt, you know, the main coast in uh, the Connecticut Valley area where that two major flyways we kind of sit like right in the middle of that and so we see a few flight birds coming down through but in general uh we've had a pretty good season i can't complain i think uh, most of my customers that you know uh that we have uh it has had a good season so not being too terribly familiar with new hampshire i talked to aj obviously quite a bit and i know you guys aren't too far apart but just to get a sense of the grouse hunting in New Hampshire, I know that it varies. Like like in a lot of places, you know, one part of the state might be awesome grouse hunting, the other part of the state might be so-so for various reasons. Where you're at, are are you in what would be considered sort of the prime New Hampshire grouse hunting, or how does that shake up for you? Yeah, so that's an interesting question, uh, um, and I'd have to answer yes. The northern part of New Hampshire. So just to give you a geographic uh, idea of uh, if you look at New Hampshire, the way we're, we're shaped in that triangle thing, if you go to the very tip of that part of the state, that's where Pittsburgh, New Hampshire is. My next ne- next door neighbor is Canada. So I'm, gotcha. I'm pretty close. I'm pretty close to the Canadian border and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I've talked to biologists up in the areas every once in a while and, you know, they're always asking me because I'm in the woods constantly and, uh, you know, they want to know how the bird population, what am I seeing for counts and stuff like that. And one of the primary questions I asked a few years ago, I said, so what do you guys think about the seven year cycle? Do you think that really is truly in effect? So the answer was yes and no. And the way they described it is they and, and you have to look at kind of way, the way New Hampshire is divided. There's a white mountain section. And if you're south of the White Mountains, they said that the, the seven year does not affect the grouse. But north of the White Mountains is definitely, you know, you'll have your high peaks and then it goes down to a low. And that fluctuating scale that goes up and down, it definitely has an, an impact. And I would say right now, the last, I would say, three years, the way that uh, counts have been, it's been pretty good. I, 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 I tell you what. I'm not trying to blag, but uh, we had some days that we had 50 plus flushes in the woods, and that's that's pretty awesome. You yeah, know, you know that's a great day in the grouse woods, as far as I'm concerned. I usually, I personally kind of have a benchmark of if I flush 20 grouse, that's 
that's a good day. Not that I haven't flushed more than that, but we certainly have days where we flush less than that. So uh, a 50 grouse flush day is pretty fantastic. I'm looking at the map now and I can see that, yeah, you're, uh, you're pretty close to Canada out there, Dave. You're, uh, you're, you're closer to Canada than I am and I'm in Duluth and that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's funny you say that because there are, there are certain times when we're walking in some of my covers and I'm not telling you exactly where they are because right. they're, they're always trade secrets. <laughs> There's always trade secrets to it, but basically, you know, every once in a while, someone will say, what are those blue markers? And I say, well, you want to be on this side of the blue markers, just let's put it that way. And then they realize that they're on a borderline, <laughs> you know, uh, getting closer to uh, passing into Canada. So it's kind of uh, an interesting uh, thought when people look realize, gee, I didn't think I was that high up. And I said, oh, yeah, he says, it, it doesn't take long to get up into this area and stuff. So, I mean, in general... You know, we still look for the same type of covers. You know, I had a conversation this morning with uh, a fellow Nocta member. We were talking about, he said, and he lives in Maine. He said, so what do you, you know, typically look at? You know, what are you looking at? And I, and I said, you know, generally we're looking for that soft and hard cover, you know, just, you know, just between those pines. That's where we've been finding the birds. But I said, I'll be honest with you. There are some days I, I'll take you to some covers and you would look at me and say, why are we going in this? And I'm just, just wait, just wait. <laughs> you know, and we get into it. And they said, this would be the last place I would have thought grouse would have been hanging. And I said, the oddity about this, I would say, for the most part, usually when the you know rainy weather comes into effect, the grouse have a tendency to hang in the spruce, you know, the softwood areas and just underneath those elements. But in this particular area, they're in there all the time. It doesn't make any difference whether it's warm out, uh, cold, windy, whatever. They're in there. And for some reason, they're liking that cover. And it was just happenstance that I just happened to be cutting through, working some dogs, got onto some birds, pushed forward with the, the clients that I had. And then all of a sudden, it was like a, a cloud burst inside of it. And I said, oh, boy, I'm marking this one again. You know, so I remember to come back. Yeah, absolutely. They're such a remarkable bird in the sense that they are, they're so well adapted across a wide range of, you know, their geographic range is so expansive. They're, they're able to specialize and utilize what the landscape has to offer in, in a given area. And they can, you know, again, they eat so many different food, you know, they're very opportunistic feeders and for cover, they, they're able to use various types of cover as long as they can really get out of the elements. They're kind of a fair weather bird in some sense of that. You know, they don't like to get super wet, so they like to have good thermal cover or dry cover nearby, but they're they're uh, they're masters of their domain, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. Uh, you know, I'm constantly asked, what, what's, what's the uh, one common denominator about uh, grouse? And I says, well, the one consistency about grouse is that they're inconsistent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as soon as you think you figured them out, you know, you're thrown into another realm like, I can't believe it. I can't believe they're here. So it's kind of interesting when when I'm taking clients out, you know, we my, my day typically starts at 6 a.m. in the morning, get up, get the, you know, the lunch is ready. Uh, you know, we kind of um, really dedicate a nice lunch to our, our sports that we take out and, uh, you know, get the dogs packed up, get everything loaded, and then I go pick up the sports, and then we head into the woods, and we're usually in the woods somewhere around 8.30 in the morning, and we start out from there, and, um, you know, 
we might drive 20 miles in there and you could see it in their face and they're looking at me like, why are we passing all this? And it's just that common question is, trust me, I've been here. I know where I'm going and just bear with it. (laughs) (laughs) On the topic of sort of timing and and daily schedules, if you, you know, when you have, you have clients with you, it's one thing you kind of have a sort of an operation, I guess, but just as far as a, a personal hunting approach for Dave Trahan, if you can be in the woods for three, four hours of, of a day, what part of the day are you going to be out there? So um, this year, uh, the interesting factor, the morning, I would say the morning was the, the, the most productive in general. And it's just because uh, temperature gauge, um, the I would say for the most part, even though it was raining, uh, we didn't really get very cold weather this year up there, which is surprising. And it was, you know, some days it was in the mid 60s. And boy, after about two o'clock in the afternoon, they were really spread out. And, you know, it took a little bit to get into them and, and find them and stuff. They weren't as uh, bunched up, as I would say, in the morning. It, it didn't seem like you'd get into a cover and, you know, you'd work that cover for, you know, an hour or so, hour and a half, and you might have eight or nine flushes out of that that cover uh, and then move into another one. And then come the afternoon, you know, you're, you're looking at twos and threes or one, you know, that uh, was a big difference. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You mentioned the, the grouse cycle. I, that's kind of a fascinating topic. We should probably do a podcast episode on the cycle at some point, but it would be, it'd have to be sort of open-ended because it's, it's interesting in that there is definitely a cycle in certain grouse populations in certain areas and the cycle varies in minnesota we commonly refer to a 10-year cycle but in other places like even wisconsin and where where you're at it's a seven-year cycle but it's just it's very interesting to me that we know there's a cycle but the exact specific cause of that cycle and and all of the factors that influence it are sort of a mystery really yeah, and I don't, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting when you say that because I can't, I can't really say that the, um, I, I still believe that no matter what type of weather they have, they still manage, you know, to propagate and 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 make it through it. It, I don't really see any difference to be honest with you. I, I can't say that the weather's changed that much in the last three years. And I would, you know, I, I would say, you know, the average amount of birds that we have throughout the month sustain about the same thing. So I, I didn't really, I don't really see a big change yet. You know, I haven't had those real slow days. I mean, uh, we had a terrible rainstorm on Sunday of this week. I mean, the winds were blowing. It had to be 40 plus miles an hour. And we still found 25 birds that day alone. And it's like, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's just like it, they were just in the in the places that you wouldn't think they were, and they were there. You know, so it's. Uh, I think they they managed to be take care of themselves. You know, better than I don't know. I'm not a biologist, but I think sometimes I think they still take better than care of them. You know, the way that they're so used to the way climate changes are and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt they've been around for a long time, and they. They have been here without our help for quite a while, even though we, we like to think that we can help them. And we can in certain ways, but it's 
they're uh they're a native bird and they've been they've been around for quite some time so look at his goal here dave it's october and we're talking about rough grouse we're diving off the deep end it's no surprise to me but let's uh let's rewind a little bit i want to hear a little bit more about dave Trahan. you are you're very involved with with Navda, you're the president of Navda. You also you have your own kennel. You breed your own dogs. You're guiding. Tell us a little bit about what you do and the things that keep you busy on a daily basis, Dave. Yeah, so uh, you know, uh, I I always keep telling everybody um, I, I I play for a living. You know, and, until my wife comes up and tells me to get a real job, that's when I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> but basically, I uh, I, I run a, a kennel business. Uh, training um, versatile breeds. I primarily work with, uh, you know, uh, the versatile breeds, but in general, uh, you know, I'll work with any type of dog. Um, 25% of my clients, you know, are retriever guys. Um, I have a lot of those who come to me because I I use a lot of birds and they want to have the uh, ability to be able to get their dogs on birds. And that's the, the basic thing that uh, why they come to me and, and, and use my expertise and stuff. You know, I started, uh, God, it was um, 30-something years ago when I got my first hunting dog. It um, it was one of those things. Uh, I had some dogs prior to that. They weren't hunting dogs. Uh, um, and uh, when they passed away, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, I'm really getting into hunting more with uh, bird dogs because I went and hired some people and saw how dogs worked and stuff. And I said, I really want to get one. So our first dog, we actually um, Brittany. And um, when I got to Brittany, I looked at my wife and I said, "Hey, you know, I know about obedience and other things, but I don't really know how to train a hunting dog." So I looked around and was calling different people, and every everybody was uh, telling me, "You know, send me your dog and and we'll train it." And while well, I said that's nah, not what I want, I want to learn. I want to learn. I want to be on a one-on-one basis with you. And so. My connections through Ducks Unlimited, um, I heard about a gentleman up in uh, uh, Maine. Uh, someone was saying, gee, you ought to see this guy who works these Sherman Short Hills. And that gentleman was Blaine Carter. Uh, and um, I uh, gave him a call and I said, this is what I'm looking for. And he said, well, this that's what I do. And I said, I, he said, I work with my clients and I teach them how to teach their dogs. So that's how I got started with with the hunting dogs in it, you know, well over 30 years ago. and when I got into um, training of the dog, you know, Blaine introduced me to an organization, uh, which was, you know, the short word is NAVDA, which is the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. And he said, you know, you ought to come to a couple of training clinics and see what we're all about. So the first year I really didn't do much. And second year, I kind of jumped in and came to a couple of clinics and I said, oh, wow, this is cool. You know, everybody's, you know, has the same interest. They have hunting dogs. No one in particular is picking out any type of breed they just want to see you train your dog and you know have a good hunting dog and then they provided a program that you could test your dog and see how well your training program was so i started out with blaine and you know worked with him for a few years and uh, then i ventured out and went to a couple clinics with other trainers and stuff and then i started uh, you know getting little groups together you know passed a few dogs and then i started training with other people and started working together and started up, uh, you know, a part-time training business for hunting dogs. And I had a full-time job and between that and doing my training, I was pretty busy. And it was uh, uh, a little bit of a change, you know, oh, I'd say, I think I was just turning 50, somewhere around there. Someone, 
you know, a little bit of difference in, in life and how the job went. And I decided to go full time on a dog training and stuff. And uh, I got uh, started and started a little kennel business at my house. And, you know, I'm here today after I built a reputation of being able to train some dogs and, you know, and be pretty successful at it. So I can definitely see the Navda connection. I mean, you, that was early on, you got introduced with Blaine Carter. And for those that don't know, Blaine Carter, Patty Carter, and I'm, I'm forgetting their son's name. What is their son's name? He's done some writing for Project Duplin. Yeah, Jason. Jason Carter. Yeah. The Carter family is very, they're very, uh, they are often said in the same sentence as, as Navda. And I'm curious. I don't know this, I guess. Was Blaine the one that started Navda? Maybe I have heard that on Ron Bame's Honey Dog podcast. What's what's sort of the origin story of Navda? Okay, so, uh, you know, Blaine was not one of the original founding members, but he was in there with his wife way back when the conception of it. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, it was a group of gentlemen that were, you know, out in California and Canada, and and they, um, you know, Bodo Winohart, uh was the founding uh, member with, um, you know, other gentlemen that uh, got together and they decided to, uh, I guess, formulate this, this club. And what they did is they just um, came, a lot of them were from the Germans. They were Germans. So they were over in the States and in Canada and they kind of took the German system and they Americanized it a little bit. Uh, they used, uh, in NAVDA, we used a four point system, which probably would be boring to most people, but basically, uh, that's how we grade, you know, one being, uh, less and four being greater. But essentially, you know, 50 years ago this, this year, they started the organization and I, you know, we just celebrated our 50th anniversary at the annual meeting. We had the largest turnout of membership ever at an annual meeting. I mean, it was a great event. We had everybody there. So it was kind of uh, a nice uh, gathering. And I sat, you know, around at the tables and basically talking in, in my speech. And I said, did you ever think that those guys, you know, 20 guys in the beginning would ever thought there would be close to, you know, 8,500 members in NAFTA at this time? You know, um, they probably didn't. I don't think they could imagine it would be this big. But uh, we have uh, over 90 chapters throughout the United States and Canada. The organization, you know, we have a training programs, we have testing programs, we have a database for people to look up on our website. If you want to look up a particular breed and look up a, a breeder to see how well their dogs are doing in a breeding program. I mean, there's a wealth of information that NAVDA provides to, to the public. And, you know, we have a monthly magazine and we, we have a lot of information that we, we give out there for becoming a member. So, Throughout the years of me being a, a NAVDA member, you know, a couple of years after being in there, I decided to, to uh, get into the judging program, and we did that and uh, became a judge. And then um, from there, I was a clinic leader, and uh, I uh, go out throughout the country putting on clinics for different chapters, uh, along with other members who are clinic leaders and talking about our system and how it works and stuff. And then I also got into um, um, a breed club, and I, the, uh, um, I got German short hairs, but I imported uh, a dog from Germany, and I got connected to the uh, uh, North American Dirk Kurzar. And that basically is a breed club that is strictly for German short hairs. 
from the German breeding program. And it's, uh, the testing system is, is somewhat similar to what NAVDA is. So it wasn't a big change in the way I, I did things and stuff. So I, I kind of do both. I, I fester my breeding program after the German system to make sure I follow through and, and do exactly what their requirements so I can register the dogs and run them in the, in that organization. And I make sure that I produce pretty good dogs in general. 8,500 members in NAVDA. You guys are nearing 10,000. How many chapters did you say that they have? Uh, we're a little over 90 chapters throughout the United States and Canada. 90 chapters. Okay. So if somebody is listening to this, how does a, how do the chapters work? Is it basically if you have a group of people that get together and say, hey, we want to start a chapter, let's do it here? Or do you have some kind of a system for the chapters, one per state? Or how does that work? Actually, what we, uh, what we do, we do have an application form that uh, they can get from the website, and it gives them all the parameters of what it re- required to set uh, to start a chapter. And it's it's basically it's not too difficult. All you need is uh, basically is uh, two. You know, you need ten uh, members that are international members. You know, submit an application that you're requesting to become a chapter. There's a form that's filled out. We try to send somebody out to look at your grounds and stuff to make sure that you can adequately have events out there, you know, that you have fields and water and stuff. Because with our versatile breeds, we test in both uh, venues. We, You know, there are water tests and there are also field testing and stuff. So we want to make sure that uh, it sustains what is required to hold the test if your chapter chooses to. But in general, once they... Um, submit it and they get accepted the name is put on a website it doesn't necessarily mean you know you can't have more than one chapter in a state many chapters are you know branched in some of the bigger states you know because of traveling time for people to get to it sure Um, and then um you know then we have uh you know where most of most of the chapters in general are set up by people who have been in other chapters and you know they just feel a need that they, they need to need another one because, you know, sometimes chapters grow so big that they can't handle the, you know, all the people that come to a training day. So they decide to set up a, a different uh, location and, and, and handle that overflow. Yeah. I, I feel like that's kind of one of the interesting things about NAVDA that I have picked up on really from honestly listening to a lot of Ron Bames hunting dog podcast, cause he's very involved in NAVDA and he talks about it a lot. So I've, I picked up a thing or two along the way, but again, I'm I uh, I've never been to a Navda event. There's I don't have a chapter right near me. I have one nearby, and I I keep meaning to get out to an event because I'd love to see it. But you know, the main organization you send judges around, you'll send people out. You have resources for these chapters to to host their own local events, and then things kind of culminate in the testing process. And maybe we'll get into this a little bit later. But you have the Navda invitational which is held i believe in september every year we just we just aired an episode of the podcast with rick afuso who i recorded it way back in the summer and he was preparing for the nav invitational so there's there's a good structure to the organization which i think is probably to be expected given its given its roots and its history what i guess this is probably on the nav website but does nav have a standard as far as what do they what kind of dog is Navda trying to build and create into the future? Is there a 
Is there a description or an idea of sort of the perfect dog that everybody's working towards knowing that perfect will not be achieved, but we're always going to be trying to improve? I wouldn't say that there's a description on a dog itself or any particular breed. Our mission statement basically says that we formulate to to have a a well-trained dog for its performance in the field, which is, you know, covers, you know, waterfowl hunting, covers the field work, and also the recovery of game. And I think that's the primary thing that uh, we focus on. Our chapters are are basically there that if a, if a novice comes in and says, I know nothing, I need help, here's my dog, can you help me train it? And that's what the opportunity that you can get when you join now, that they have training clinics on a regular basis. If you put the time in and you work with the other volunteers and hang around, watch and learn from other people, that's what that opportunity will get you as a member of NAVDA. But it's the primary thing as far as the association is, is that we just provide the opportunities for those things. One of the uh, the new things that we're kicking off this year, and, it, and, and it's going to go out real soon, is that another added thing that is coming to attrition is that we're going to have an application format that chapters who are struggling with certain let's say retrieving exercises that their dogs aren't doing very well and they want to bring in a specialist. Well, NAVDA is going to help them out in a way to help them support them and get that, that expert to them. So, you know, that's one of the things that our organization provides to our membership. Yeah. So it's really a classic structure in that by a bunch of like-minded people joining and banding together, you allow access to resources that they otherwise would not, would they be on their own? So that's, I think that's really the the neat thing about NAVDA. And, and that's certainly as an opportunity for people that are new to these kinds of dogs, it's, you know, that's how we talk about it and reference it a lot in that it's a great opportunity for people to go and get exposed to these kinds of dogs and see what they do, see how they work, get accustomed with various breeds. I mean, that's kind of, that's cool too, because it's not breed specific. Maybe we should, we should address that probably because I don't want to assume too much, but NAVDA is not, is not breed specific, but there are, there are criteria around the dogs that get involved with NAVDA. Right. So they're basically, we're looking more at the versatile breeds, the continental versatile breeds but uh, we do have a listing uh, on our website of all the breeds that are accepted in our system in a sense and and basically when i say this for testing purposes Correct. okay but that's not to say because we have it in our in our local chapter here we have some lab guys that come to training days they want to do the water work they don't have an opportunity because they don't have any local clubs uh that do that so they join the organization so they can come in and they can train a dog. Now, they can't test the dog, but they don't really care. They just want to have that opportunity that they can have some help with training and be able to use the field and water uh, areas so they can work on their uh, dog's ability to, to, to make good hunters out of it. You know, kind of an interesting thing uh, that happened uh, at our fall test this year. You know, I'm seeing as a trainer. A trend that has happened, I would say, in the last five years, and 
by no means am I picking on these people, but the millennium people that are, are <laughs> coming into effect on this. And they come in with such enthusiasm and wanting to learn. It's just that the hardest thing that I always have to do is is teaching. It, it takes time and it's not instant gratification. Sure. I mean, I, I, literally, I literally have people who come in. I just got my hunting license. I just passed my hunter safety course. Um, I bought a gun. I bought a, go- a dog. Can you show me? And they want to learn everything. I love it. I absolutely engulfed myself in that teaching those people because it's like, you know, everything is there and, and they just want to absorb all of this stuff. And I constantly do this while I'm working with it. So it's great. It's just that they have to learn the patience that it doesn't work as quickly as they like it to. You know, um, I was talking with some people this year and someone had asked me, they said, well, how long have you been coming up to Pittsburgh? I said, I've been coming up there 50 years. This is why I know this area. This is why I know where to look for things and stuff. And that, and I still learn on a constant basis. So that key group right now is so engaging that, you know, we just grab everything that we can out of it. And then, and I think this is where NAVDA has come into play. You know, we work with the Rough Grouse Society. We, we're working with Pheasants Forever, and we're working uh, on that R3 program and, and, and just helping everybody to get that person in, involved. Kind of an interesting thing this year at our fall test, I started to say we had a, a group of ladies that ran their dogs. Uh, the dogs didn't do so well, but some of them passed, some of them didn't. But it was trying to, to explain to them that, you need more to do and understand, and you have to come out and experience what it is to hunt and understand so you can see what we're looking at. Well, long story short, one of the ladies decided to come to uh, my location to do some training for her dog because she was going to rerun it and work on pointing. And prior to her showing up, I said, I called my wife and says, hey, you remember those ladies that came to the test? I said, I'm going to make them a proposition, and I hope you're you're okay with this. So the lady showed up and I said to her, I said, look, I said, we'll work on your dog today, but I want to make you a proposition. My wife comes up to camp every weekend for the month of October. Why don't you pick a weekend and come up with your dog and yourself? You don't need a hunting license. You don't need uh, a gun or anything like that. You're just going to walk through the woods with my wife and she's going to show you what it takes to get your dog hunting. So she ended up having two ladies that came up because they grabbed at that opportunity. They spent the weekend with us and they had a ball. They had such a tremendous time understanding exactly their dogs got on birds. They knew what it was like to, to get out there and hunt. And they finally said, we get it. We get what we have to do. And you know, and and it's sort of that hook and bait thing you know you just put the bait out there and boom i just hooked them you know yeah and so it was it was a positive thing and i'm i'm glad i did that because i think it was you know again i took the element away of a man teaching them i i stuck them with my wife yeah. i burdened her with her for the weekend but she had a ball yeah. i mean it, it was the, it was the, it was the greatest thing for the weekend it was just uh a super thing so i think we all have to, and I think this is what NAVDA is doing. We're, we're seeing a lot of those things. We're, we're getting those people in there, and we're showing them what to do. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting perspective in that. So those ladies, they came into NAVDA because they had dogs and they were interested in the training and testing, but they, correct me if I'm wrong, but they had no experience with hunting. So they hadn't seen the other side. Is that correct? Uh, one lady said her brother-in-law hunted, so she had some idea, okay. but in general, the other ones, no, they did not. They didn't have any idea whatsoever, you know, what the, the concept of what we were looking at and stuff. Um, and, and these, they actually, they lived in Boston. So just imagine, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, you know, where do they train your dog? Right. They have to, they have to drive out of the city and they come to our events. And, you know, we, you know, it was one of those things where I was trying to tell them when they were coming, I said, you need to do more than that. You need to start trying to get out in the woods and just let them run. But, you know, the paranoia a little bit because they don't know it and they're worried about losing their dog oh, and other sure. things and stuff like that. So I, I think it was just a, it was a real great opportunity for these ladies to, to do. So uh, I'm glad I, I, I did it. Yeah, well, it definitely sounds like it. And it's exciting to hear that somebody who lives in an area like Boston, Massachusetts is still interested enough to go out and make the effort and get their dog out in the woods, get involved with NAVDA, you know, just because you live in a big city in metropolitan area. I've got obviously a lot of friends that live in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, and that's a small, that's a really small big city on the, uh, you know, relatively speaking, but you're seeing this in, and I, I find that very, very interesting as well, because oftentimes AJ will talk, AJ and I will talk about how we hear from people of our generation, millennials and a younger demographic all the time because we that's who we talk to on a daily basis. So we know that there's interest out there. But to hear you say it, Dave, and to hear that you're actually seeing some of these folks infiltrate into NAVDA and and into the areas, that kind of that kind of confirms what we think we know. But we're always questioning whether or not we're just too too mixed up in the middle of it, you know, but to actually hear that you're seeing these people and seeing an uptick is that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it, it truly was. I mean, it was, a uh, like I said, it was, it's so encouraging. It, and, and I said, I, I just felt, wow, they get it now. They get it. You know, they know what we're doing. Yeah. Stuff, so. I've got, I, it's, I have to chuckle a little bit about, you know, instant gratification because uh, yeah, you're, you're speaking to me, I'm right mixed in there in that demographic. And, Patience is a patience is a virtue, and it's definitely something that you have to have. Whether you're rough grouse hunting or uh, or quail hunting or anything else, really, patience is patience is all part of it. You're as enthusiastic as one might be, which I am often. That's often that's me. I I always have to remind myself that you know Rome wasn't built in a day. It takes time. I've been grouse hunting for a long time. I've been grouse hunting for over twenty years. Now I consider that. A long time. There's people that have been doing it a lot longer than that, and they're still learning every day. Like you said, learning something new every day, and it always helps me to remind myself that while I'm, I try to improve and learn something new every day. It's it's a never-ending process. You're never going to get there. No, no, you don't. I mean, and I think if you want to be a somebody that really knows what you're talking about and going, you have to be open and really making sure that things are happening the way you want them to do. And if you can't, you have to figure out what do I do to get it done? Yeah. And uh, you have to really engage on that. You know, and uh, one of the other things that uh, always comes to mind is that, you know, what are the, you know, people will say to me, what's the other advantage of being a, 
a NAVDA member, and I always say this, I mean, if you heard my speech a million times, I always said that there is a part on our website that said, has uh, chapter contacts. And on that, it lists where all the chapters are throughout the United States. Now, we're not in every state, but in most of the states that we're in are hunting states. And there hasn't been a time that I haven't gone to the chapter contacts and looked in there and said, hey, I'm going to South Dakota. I'm going to call this guy. And I'm going to say, hey, I'm coming out. I don't want you to show me where your hunting spots are. I just want to know what county to go in. So I'm not driving everywhere and just trying to find a place. Well, I'll tell you what, that's an invaluable connection that we have with our membership that most of the time, most of those people will they'll say, when are you coming out? I'll help you out. I'll show you a few places. I'll set you up with something. And I've never, it's never fails me where someone hasn't offered to show me how, how it's done in their state and stuff. And that's a, another bonus for being a member of NAVDA. Yeah, absolutely. That is actually very apparent to me, even as an outsider, really, to NAVDA. The NAVDA community is very tight knit. And I, I just gather that from, from talking to people and, and my exposure to it. But certainly people are familiar with, you know, when you have something in common like that, you have that sense of community that goes a long way. And if you're looking to travel and, and do some bird hunting in another area, you know, that sort of that you get, you break down that initial barrier because you have something in common and you can make those connections. Yeah. That's, that's really important. Right. Exactly. So Dave, you are currently president of NAVDA. What, what exactly does that entail and how does that keep you busy with the organization? So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm national president. Um, I'm a two-term president right now. We work on a volunteer basis. Uh, we have an office uh, just outside of Chicago. We have four paid mem- uh, four paid employees that work. The ladies that are in there, you know, manage all the rest the uh, the paperwork that I send them. It, you know, they help with uh, the billings and and also you know part of the uh, magazine and also the registration, the database for that, and and the testing program that goes out throughout the year. So our office uh, is is manned. By four ladies who uh, who handle all that, but the rest of the board members are all volunteers who uh, you know give their time to to support the organization. Since I've been president, uh, we had we have had a tremendous increase in membership. It's up forty six percent right now since uh, I have been uh, president. So I'm really pleased to you know to say that, and it's with the due diligence of not only our board of directors but also the the NAVDA members out there, you know, pushing forth the organization and, and getting people hooked on it. Um, it it's it's, pretty, it's uh, really done well so far. You know, I, I truly believe that it won't take us very long to hit that 10,000 mark uh, and uh, really be, a, you know, the, the number one organization that is fostering the training of a good, versatile dog. Yeah, that's certainly something to be proud of. And it's it's neat to see an organization like this growing in a time where the greater hunting community is kind of under threat. You know, you we hear conversations often about hunter numbers dwindling as society modernizes and people lose access and opportunity to do these things. But 
there's one thing that's probably not going anywhere for quite some time, and that is dogs. And people, our connection to dogs is much, much stronger and deeper than I think many of us realize. And, you know, you mentioned earlier Pheasants Forever and Rough Grouse Society, and we work closely with those organizations as much as we possibly can. We have very interesting conversations and we monitor this as far as our content goes. You don't have, you don't have to have a dog to hunt the species that those organizations work for. But when you do have a dog, there is a different connection between the pursuit and the people that do it. And the dogs just seem to make that connection deeper and stronger. And I think that obviously is, it really needs no explanation. You know, our history with, with canines goes, goes way, way back, but an organization like NAVDA, you have the dogs in your back pocket, and that's obviously, that draws so many people together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the dog is the, is the big connection. And, you know, I alluded to the these women uh, before, but, and I, I think that one of the biggest things that they learned that when we were, you know, hunting with my wife, that it wasn't as easy as they thought it was going to be to, to go out there and, and get uh, game, for instance, you know. Uh, that it it's not very easy. So it's it's watching and working that dog and seeing how that dog works. That the uh, you know is is the real thrill of it. You know I still get excited. We had a uh, a litter last year and our, this is our second season with our our youngest dog, which she's about 15 months of age. <clears throat> and my wife has primarily been hunting a dog, and I I I have her this week. And uh, I tell you, this week I, I I'm just I still get excited watching that young dog pin them grouse and just hold them there. And it's just like, wow, you know, it's just tremendous to see the, 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 that dog. And I just get excited over that. And uh, it's a common question that's asked of me. And they said, do you get tired of uh, not being able to pull the trigger? And I said, no. I said, I just enjoy finding the birds and, and watching the dog work. I said, that's truly what I like to do. It doesn't necessarily mean... I have to harvest everything that I see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to I want to pitch a couple of people to you, Dave, in as an example, and and I want your advice. And it might be the same for both of these people, but these are people that I hear from. I get emails from them, and it's kind of like a character, right? So this one person would be somebody that does not have a bird dog. They're very inexperienced with upland hunting, but they want to just step into the world. They want to get to learn more about upland hunting and they're very curious about bird dogs. The other person would be somebody that already has a dog, but they're kind of looking to take that next step. As far as NAVDA is concerned, and if you and if your advice for the for these two people would be the same, that's fine. What should the first step for these people be in order to get some exposure to NAVDA? So um your first question as far as picking what type of dog. I think NAVDA is the the number one place that you can go to a local chapter and visit and watch and to see what local breeds that are in that chapter. So how, how does one do that? Yeah. You know, we go to our NAF, we go to our national uh, site, our website, which is navda.org. You go to the section where it says uh, chapter locator, and then you look basically what state you're in. And then from there, you click on the state or the state that's near you. Uh, and it will tell you where your local chapters are. It will list it. It basically lists the the contact person, not necessarily the exact location where the the grounds are, but 
that chapter contact will be there and give them a call and ask them when their you know training events are most of the chapter uh, locators they have a website that's linked to the chapter and they usually have something on there that will tell you when their events are on that and then you can go and see and have an opportunity to see different breeds of dog and that that's one thing as far as somebody who has a dog you know the same venue you just you know you got to take that extra step and come out and try that find that local chapter and sometimes getting into that location with the chapter that you know they'll they'll tell you of people who meet on a regular basis that will help them out and to uh, pro trainers that might be in the organization that can help them out with your situation or when it comes to training their dogs and, and helping them get their dogs ready for hunting season and stuff. I think the biggest thing that I always encourage anybody who has an, a new puppy, you know, within a relative age, like for instance, uh, when we took Jaden for her first season, she was about, oh, I think five months old, four and a half, five months old. And we just put her on the ground and she just went behind other dogs and we just exposed her to the elements and just kept her going with that. And, uh, you know, and throughout the year, we just did our regular training. And now, you know, she was what most people would consider a gun dog at this point. You know, she was steady to the flush and she was breaking at the shot, which, you know, I'm not worried about that at this point. You know, throughout the winter, I'll start vigorously training her to, you know, be steady. So when I run her in a test next fall, you know, she'll be ready for it. But, you know, I think the, the biggest thing that I would encourage somebody who's getting a dog or who has a dog, that first year to me is the most important time for that dog to get out into the into the uh, woods and hunt them or in their fields if you're out west. Awesome. And so for somebody that, that might look up their local chapter and reach out to the contact, whoever the contact is there, what events or uh, you know i'm i know that this is going to vary a little bit by time of year and, and stuff but what might they expect to find if it's in the summer there's they're probably going to be getting together for regular training sessions during the winter during the off season for certain areas of the country are that are they getting together to have meetings and and talk about talk about bird dogs are they kind of training year round what does that look like dave yeah i mean it it, it... It actually depends on the geographics, sure. um, you know, uh, of where they are. But, you know, kind of interesting. I went to uh, I went to judge a test out in Wisconsin this this summer and I was talking to a Minnesota guy that was out there running a dog. And we were talking to him and I said, uh, so how's your chapter doing? He said, oh, great. He said, you know, we have five different locations. We're over 400 members. Uh, we have training days three times a week. They're at five different locations. I'm like, wow. I mean, that is just unbelievable. You know, so they're a real active. And I think I forget. I think he said somewhere. I know it was well over 100 training days a year that they do. Wow. And that's that's pretty intense. You know, so what does someone do? Again, you, you contact that that chapter contact and they will tell you. And I, I what I would do is I would just bring your dog, show up, and just watch for the first time. Yeah, You may have some leftover birds. Most likely, they will get you engaged in some sort of training, show you the ropes of what's going on. But I would just, like I said, get that lo- local contact, show up at the first thing, and kind of just get a feel of things and how things work 
and stuff like that. And they'll they'll work you through it. And they'll tell you, you know, some some chapters. Okay, our next event is you know July 10th. And uh, oh, by the way, uh, once you join the you know the organization and you join the local chapter, we'll send you an email. And this is how you order birds. And you know, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be providing this following information and stuff like that. So you know, it's it's really up to the individual uh, content contacting that chapter and finding out the roles and how they function and stuff. Yeah. Cool. And that, and that's, that gives some uniqueness to it. You know, each, each chapter is going to have their own sort of nuances and tendencies. And at this time, Dave, NAV is growing. You guys have made some great strategic partnerships. You know, you mentioned again, Pheasants Forever, Rough Grouse Society, you're doing some marketing promotion. You, you know, AJ, AJ shot a film that uh, I can't remember it was all about the the natural ability test, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. AJ uh, came to our local chapter. Uh, uh, what we what we started to do is that uh, that was one of the big things. Uh, people were that were new said, "Hey, do you have a video that shows what it what a test is like?" So uh, we had one that was for the Invitational. We cur- and uh, AJ came and did the natural ability one, and he filmed throughout the day the process of what the judges. Uh, look for and what the test consisted of. And, uh, you know, it's all on our website now to to see what a natural ability test is and stuff. So it's um, available again on the website in regards to showing you exactly what is uh, required of a dog that wants to be tested. And again, I don't want people to go away and think that we're just a testing organization because right. we're not. It's, it's a training organization because we have Gee, I think in our chapter alone, we have well over 150 members in our chapter. That doesn't mean everybody's testing. They're coming to training events. That's what they want. They join the organization to to help train your dog. Yeah. Yeah. You made that point earlier when you said that, you know, it's not, wouldn't be uncommon for somebody with a lab to be at a NAVDA event, even though a lab is not necessarily in the NAVDA testing, you know, structure, but the point is, don't let that scare you away. Don't shy off because you don't have a certain kind of dog or you're not interested in testing. The point is to become a part of the community if you're interested. If you want to learn more, you want to see what it's all about, NAVDA is, at least I get the sense, a very welcoming community. And it's a, it's a place for people to go and check it out, learn more, get a taste for certain things that they might otherwise not be able to easily get exposure to you know it's right there for you and i'll make sure that we have a link to that video in the the show notes for this episode because again people that are familiar with our work and the stuff that we do it's a great it's a great crossover and it's a great look at what a navda training day looks like and some of the things that are are involved with it also it'd be a be a good first exposure for people looking to learn more so what else what else is upcoming for NAVDA, Dave, what are you guys looking at in 2020? I know you usually do your annual meeting somewhere in the first quarter of the year. So what's what's upcoming for NAVDA? Let's look ahead a little bit. Well, uh, you know, basically, uh, this is actually an election year. I'm running for re-election and the ballots are out. We um, have that fortitude together to, uh, you know, I'm hoping that I get re-elected with um, my fellow board members. we have a strategic plan that we're working on right now, and it's it's moving forward. We have a lot of things that we've done. You know, we have a new website now. That training opportunity 
outlay is is there for that you know to help out chapters you know that mentoring program uh we're again working with the rough grouse society and pheasants forever you know working with the r3 program that's been a a real great thing that's happened we're also looking into now making a, a utility film uh for the utility uh, uh test and we're just trying to uh see you know how how we can incorporate that uh, just like we did with the other ones and get that started so there's there's a lot of things that have changed um and 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 moving forward and uh, you know we're solid with our our conservation group we're solid with our 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 sponsors that we you know we've been together for many many years and and we're we're going strong and we're just trying to just build our membership we have a, a great team that's in place right now and a I'm just looking forward to hopefully work with them another three years and, and, and moving forward with it. Good deal, Dave. Where, where is the best place that people should go to to learn more about NAVDA and hopefully become a member? Uh, that would be our website. Uh, we just redid it. Uh, Tim Otto was the, 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 the main guy that got it all together, and he's head of our publications and did a fantastic job, uh, and uh, it's navda.org. We um, are out there on the web, and it's uh, it's easy to to scroll through and find different venues and what you're looking for. It's a it's a great resource, you know, especially for people who are looking for dogs want to want to see how different breeders are doing and different dogs that are are in our program. You have that opportunity to see that on our website. Good deal. I will definitely drop a link to the NAVDA website in the show notes. For people that love podcasts, I would highly encourage them to go listen to, go go scan through some of Ron Bame's Hunting Dog podcast. He's got lots of NAVDA-related conversations. He's got some great stuff from over the years, uh, so people can learn more that way. But definitely go check out NAVDA. Dave, this has been a pleasure talking to you. I, I, I thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the next time we have you on, you're still president and and the organization has grown by another 46%. And you guys are killing it, man. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm pulling for you. And maybe I'll see you. You think you'll be at Pheasant Fest in Minneapolis this year? Yes, I am. All yep, right. Absolutely. Yep. I'm going to be out there. And uh, I really appreciate, Nick, uh, everything you've done. Um, you guys are great. I mean, uh, we, we've worked with AJ and Project Upland. And it, it's been it's been a mind-blowing experience because, uh, you know, and again, I just, you know, here I am brainstorming again, but, uh, you know, our social media, you know, if it wasn't for guys like AJ and St. Dave, you've got to get on social media and, <laughs> and, and, and that's the way, but, you know, see, I'm an old guy. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, it, and it, it's been a big learning curve. It's easier for you younger group to understand because that's how you're used to it and stuff. But, uh, we have a lot of younger guys on our, our team now and, you know, we have, uh, we're on Instagram, we have uh, Facebook, you know, just a bunch of different ways that we're getting our information out. So along with Project Upland and your organization, it, it, it's it's been great to work with. Yeah. Well, the neat thing is, Dave, when social media, when Navda gets on social media and people like myself who are new into bird dogs and are really excited about it. They get connected with people like you that have been doing it for a long, long time. And we can actually have face to face or at least over the phone conversations and, and learn from one another. That's uh that's what we want to have happen. Yep. 
Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you. Thank you very much again for joining us. I wish you the best of luck in the rest of your bird season. Have a great fall, and we will see and talk to you soon, Dave. Yeah, I actually, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, I'm, I got a day off, going to work a couple days, and then I get back home, and then I head out west for a little while. So we're kind of mixing it up and, you know, moving on and stuff. But thank you again. All right, Great good time. deal. Take care, Dave. Bye-bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Project Upland podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. The podcast is also brought to you by Pinerage Grouse Camp, Dogger Collars, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, Gumleaf USA, Gordian Sons Outfitters, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share the podcast post. You could be next week's winner of the Project Upland podcast giveaway. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.